Welcome to Tech Talk Online, sponsored by Stratford University. You can listen to Tech Talk Live in the Washington, D.C. area, Saturday mornings from 9 till 10 on the following frequencies. 1500 AM, 1045 FM, 1035 FM HD2, and 1039 FM HD2. We thank you for listening to Tech Talk Radio. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Ross. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Ross. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Russ. It's great to be back in the United States again. I've been traveling to Hyderabad, India. What's going on over there? Spent a couple of weeks there. We're looking at setting up a campus in Hyderabad. And we talked to a lot of folks all over the city. We were there two weeks, talked to a lot of the leaders. We're also looking to, you know, get a... Get a strategic partner so we can expand into Africa. We mm-hmm. want to bring American education to the world, and we really met some great, great friends there in Hyderabad. Later on, I'm going to talk about my ops. I was also doing a lot of faculty development over there. I was in, you know, a couple months ago, I was doing faculty development in Pakistan. I was in faculty development in Kurdistan. I'll talk about um, what I think education should be doing going forward in this this age of accelerating change and which how should schools prepare students for the future I, I spent a whole I spent two weeks talking about that so I thought I'll share a bit of that on the air this morning now of course things are happening uh, you know as always you, you heard about the big whatsapp hap, hack hack I did not hear about <laughs> yeah that. whatsapp was hacked by a, a Israeli company and then they then and they sold the um, the technique to governments, and then governments were using that to spy on dissidents. It it was a big big controversy in India because in India everybody talks on WhatsApp. If you're not on WhatsApp, mm-hmm. you don't talk to anybody. So I'm now a major WhatsApp user. So I'll talk a bit about that about that breach. And um, this is the week of the 50th anniversary of the internet. We'll talk, we'll, talk about, we'll talk about the first message that was sent over a packet-switching network. Did you bring champagne? Oh, I forgot the champagne. It's, it's really exciting because, you know, I know everybody just wakes up dreaming about packet-switching. And mm-hmm. so, yes. you know, so I'm going I'm, to – your dreams are going to come true. We're going to talk about it. Apple is not very happy with the tariffs in China. They're asking for a waiver. And probably the biggest news – and this was everywhere – Google bought Fitbit for $2.1 Yeah, billion. that's huge. That was everywhere. This week, because of the 50th anniversary, we're going to feature Leonard Kleinrock. He is the man who set up the first node of the ARPANET and sent the first message. Actually, his student sent the first message 50 years ago. Isn't he known as Mr. Packet Switch? No, they don't. They, they don't, they call, don't them, call them that. No, but that that, that could that be, could be dangerous. That could be dangerous. Mm-hmm. Yes. And of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. I forget where he is. Hang on a second. There's a letter there in your oh. mailbox. Okay, very good. I'm glad that he's still on the job because I haven't well, seen Mr. Big Voice for a while. That's sort of up to you whether he's still on the job or not. Yeah. Well, we'll don't see. You know? We'll see how it works out. We got an email <laughs> from Darshan in Hyderabad, India. 
How'd that happen? I have no idea. It's just amazing. Dear Tech Talk, I travel a lot. My cell phone battery dies too quickly. And I always don't have an outlet available for charging. Is there some way to keep my cell phone alive? Darshan in Hyderabad, India. Well, Darshan, that is a problem because, you know, you go all over India. It's not like in the U.S. where there are outlets everywhere. You really can find outlets occasionally, but but they're not everywhere. And so that's interesting. Why is that? It just, you know, I mean, it's just, you know, there's more. I don't know. We're just used to more customer service here, I think. Oh, okay. So so what everybody does is you get an external battery for your cell phone. It's actually kind of interesting. I've I've now um, I've now become an external battery expert, so I'm going to sh- just share some of my thoughts. The 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 battery rating is in in how much in, in how much capacity a battery has. It's a, it it could be in milliamp hours might be one rating. So if you take the iPhone 11 battery, it's 3200 milliamp hours. That means it could gen, it could uh, it could it could provide one milliamp for 3,200 hours, or it could buy 3,200 milliamps for one hour, and the battery size in the uh, say the iPhone 6, which is what I have, is 1,800 milliamp hours. Now the reason they pick milliamp hours is the biggest number they can get. It's all marketing. Because if you would just call it amp hours, it would be 3.2 amp hours. Which doesn't sound... It doesn't sound that big. Because size matters. Exactly. It's the same thing. 3.2 amp hours is exactly the same as 3,200 milliamp hours, but 3,200 milliamp hours just sounds better. Now, just I'll go through the units here. Please do. The battery generates the current at 5 volts. So if you take amps times volts, you get watts. So if I if I multiply oh, watts. Never watts. Mind. sorry. And so if I multiply 3.2 times 5, it turns out that that's equal to 16 watt hours. So 3200 milliamp hours is equal to 3.2 amp hours is equal to 16 watt hours. So that means Are you expecting me to remember no, all this? No, but nine this but, but this is morning? this is easier to, to to keep in mind. That means that you could light up a 16 watt light bulb for 1 hour. Okay. Or you could light up a one-watt light bulb for 16 hours, you see? Or you could just have a dim bulb. So here's the thing. So you want to get an external battery. Now, I have gotten two external batteries. So remember, the size of the battery in the iPhone is about, about 3,000 milliamp hours. So you want to get – you could get a 10,000 milliamp hour battery, and that would be good for around three charges of an iPhone 11. You could get a 20,000 milliamp our battery that would charge it six times, but I got a twenty-five thousand watt milliamp because a five thousand twenty-five thousand milliamp hour external battery, and that would charge my my well since I have an iPhone six, it would charge it actually um, twelve times. So that actually is quite nice. You just carry that around, but but it's so like, this is before you recharge the external battery. It'll recharge the phone t- twelve times. Yeah. Okay. All but right. if, now if you have an iPhone eleven, it'd only be you know seven times. But you, but so what I do, it's it's like a it's like a brick. Yeah. Now I know. Now what? I've seen it. Now here's the thing: if you want it to be smaller, you can pay more. So I got. A, <laughs> but I, I know how you operate. <laughs> I got a battery that has was made with two. Fl- uh, my bat it's made with two flat batteries put back to back, and so it's fairly thin. The cheaper units just take the cylindrical battery, say like C cells, and they just 
stack like six or seven of them up. And Rechargeable so, sea cells. Yeah, and so okay. they, they, just, they just put them in a little cube, and they fill it in, and there's a lot of wasted space there between the cylinders. I didn't know that. But it's, but it's, very, it's thicker. Yeah, of course. Well, and it's, it's cheaper because they're just getting standard... What? What cell size cell battery? Well, it could be like a it could be any a size. C it cell? Could, it could be a C. It could be like carrying a brick in your pocket. Yeah, but so it's so if you get the cheap ones, it's about the thickness of a C cell battery. You see, now mine is about half that because I got the form factor battery. But mine was form factor. Well, you know, because <laughs> I want sounds wanted, like ladies' undergarments. Uh, I, I <laughs> <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Now that is a definite distraction, Jim. <laughs> I'm trying to talk about I'm trying to talk about power bank. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Move along. Thank you. Thank you very much. So no, you're welcome. <laughs> so I got in India. I got uh, a thick one, which is just with the cylindrical batteries in it. it was only tw- it was tw- twenty thousand milliamp hours, so, and it was and it was only like sixteen dollars. So why did you have to buy one over there? Because you have one on your. Did the other one wear out? No, I, I had ordered the other one on the internet, and it didn't arrive in time. No, and so it, it now it, and so I got the one which is thinner and is like has custom batteries on the inside was twenty nine dollars for twenty five thousand milliamp hours. So I'm telling you, it is just. But <clears throat> the one you've been walking around with did that wear out? Is what I'm asking. No, no, it's still it's still good. I mean, so once I got that particular brick that I carried with me, my phone was never, my phone was always one hundred percent. Why didn't you take that to India with you? <clears throat> It didn't arrive until until I left. But what I'm saying is you've had one. No. I bought one in India, and the one that I ordered for here never arrived. I, I swear you've been into this show with it. With the- <clears throat> no, that was a little one, which is only 2,000 milliamp oh, hours. Oh, I see. So you were upgrading. Yeah. I okay. had I had a 2,000 milliamp. But that 2,000 milliamp hours, that's exactly the size of the battery in the iPhone. The it's, iPhone it's, is- it's good for one charge. Oh, that's no good. No, it's no good at all. So I had upgraded beyond that. So I actually, I think this, and I'll tell you, I really, I got, I got battery pack envy over there. Everybody <laughs> walks around with a battery pack. I'm telling you, everybody well, it walks around. Like the, they have to. Everybody walks around with a battery pack, and I'm sitting there at the table. My my phone is dead as a doornail, and everybody else is just chatting away on WhatsApp. And, and look at him going. And so must no, be an American. And no, and so what happened was. I just made a comment. I said, "You know, we're, we're, you know, tell me about that battery pack." And I made the comment, and he and he went and bought me one. So well, I didn't actually, nice I didn't actually buy it. It was a gift. Wow! It was a gift. And so, Darshan, uh, you've got a problem there. You're in Hyderabad. Get a battery pack, and um, and you can just decide. But it, you're, you're going to pay between fifteen and thirty dollars. And I would. Uh, if you get a ten thousand milliamp hour, it's a, it's it's a lot smaller. I mean, it's good for three charges, mm-hmm. but I'm I'm going with twenty five. Well, it only costs you twenty nine bucks, right? Yeah, it only costs bad. It only costs twenty nine dollars. And how many times can you recharge? So, so it, here, here's you, the thing, Jim. What's that? For twenty nine dollars, you could have kept your iPhone six. No, no, no. <laughs> oh, he, you, no, oh, here's you, the. We haven't even got. We, this was <laughs> off the air, so we'll, we'll get into that later. The, okay, well, I guess we have to get into it. I I I broke down and got an iPhone X. <laughs> You now have a better iPhone than me. I mean, this is this is bizarro world over here. Uh, we could talk about the phone later if you want. What Let's, I do, what well, I don't like about it. What's that? No button. Yeah, the home button. The home button's gone. And the other thing is going to make you mad when I tell you that it doesn't have a headphone jack, and this bothers me. Yeah, no headphone jack. No. You've, you've got to go with Bluetooth. You got no choice. No, I do have a choice, and I'll bring in. No, the, no, you could, you could, you could plug it. You could, you plug a headset in into the power. 
plug. I know, but I don't. I don't like the Apple headsets. Okay, they're junk. They don't. Fit, I, I, they, they. I think they are made to fit the head of an alien, the air of an ear of an alien. Because I don't. Well, work. it is possible. It I'm is alien. possible to get a jack. That's that, what I that, did. That, that plugs you, into the power. Do you know thing. how? Do you know how much they cost? Probably twenty nine dollars. No, forty five bucks. Forty five dollars. But, but see, I got the good one because it not only does it have the headphone jack, but it also has the lightning plug, so you could actually so plug you can, it in you can and power, charge it. You can charge it while yeah. you're doing it. So yeah. I figured, you know, if I'm going to do this, I might as well get the whole thing. But yeah. that, that's... Well, Jim, for $29, you could have gotten the power pack. But <laughs> Okay, we'll get into that story All later. All right, okay. Okay, Darshan, get a power pack. I think it's the way to go. We got an yeah, email. He said. We got an email from Subhadra in Germantown. Dear Tech Talk, I listened to your show about using Powerline Network Kit to access the internet from a distant room in the house. And I was wondering if that would work in my situation. My sister lives in the house next door to me, and I'd like to share the Internet with her to save her some money. <laughs> oh, this sounds like trouble. <laughs> she lives on a fixed end. Well, I don't think her sister's going to be looking at porn or anything. She's not going to get in trouble. How do you know? I don't. Well, I don't really know her sister, but <laughs> I'm just thinking. It, 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 well, I but really, there's I, so much that can go wrong here. There are so many things that go wrong. And I'd be sure my Internet with, with her to save her some money. She lives on a fixed income, and anything she can do to save money would help. Now, the only thing is, uh, you know, she doesn't have a cell phone. She just has her computer. Our houses are very close. So could I use Powerline, uh, you know, connections like you talked about on the show to, you know, Powerline Networking Kit to connect the two houses? Well, Sabadra, no. That Powerline Networking Kit is not going to work because you've got to be on the same circuit in the same fuse box. So the, if you use Powerline Networking, it will work within your house. But the signal will not go out into the general uh, delivery lines that that to the that 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 go back to the uh, to your power company to get over to the house next door. So that signal will not leave your house; it only stay within your house. Now, your best bet, since she's so close, is to share your Wi-Fi. Now, if she's that close, what I would do, I'd go over to her house and turn on your cell phone and see if you get a Wi-Fi signal. You know, I, I would do that first. Right. I mean, and she could put, and then if she gets if she gets a good enough Wi-Fi signal, then what you've got to do, she's got a computer without Wi-Fi, so you can get a Wi-Fi adapter That's that plugs into idea. the computer, and then she could just log log in. Now, if it turns out that <clears throat> you don't have a strong enough signal over there, you can get a Wi-Fi extender, which really works well. And so you could you could set up a Wi-Fi extender near the window, and then it would then be an additional Wi-Fi access point right within her house. But since the house is so close, you might get a Wi-Fi single signal directly. And you could even, uh, you know, there are different what kind of Wi-Fi antennas. I, I mean, in my house, I had a computer way in the basement, <clears throat> and I hooked a, a small Wi-Fi antenna t- on it and pointed it right at the, uh, the router, and it really gave me gave me a pretty good signal boost. I got like a 10 dB antenna, which is like a little makes like like a little flashlight. So mm-hmm. just go next door, see if you've got some Wi-Fi, and if you don't, just get a standard Wi-Fi extender. And best of luck, Sabadra. We got an email from Ahmed in Springfield. My computer's manual says that the motherboard supports DDR3 RAM at speeds up to 100 up up, up to 1300 megahertz. I want to replace the old RAM sticks with uh, with DDR3 RAM, but they but they actually are faster. They're 1600 megabit, megahertz. Can I put faster RAM in my computer, and will it work? Well, the short answer, Ahmed, is yes. You can you can put faster RAM in your computer. It will just operate at the speed of your of your motherboard. Now, 
you can't put slower RAM in because then the motherboard is going to operate at the same speed and it won't respond fast enough. But you can have faster RAM, not a problem. But you want to be careful about the uh, capacity. Your motherboard has a maximum amount of RAM capacity, so you don't want to put in more RAM than it's allowed. So, for instance, if your motherboard supports 8 gigabytes of RAM, that's all you can put in. Now, secondly, frequently the motherboards will have like two slots for RAM or three slots for RAM, and they will also only accept a a, a RAM stick up to a certain size. So, for instance, if you've got a... um, if you've got a, a, um, a motherboard that supports 16 gigabits of RAM, but you can't have a stick larger than 4 gigabits, gigabytes, then you would have to install four 4 gigabytes of sticks. So that's what you do, and you couldn't put in like two 8-gigabyte sticks. So you just have to look at the specs on your motherboard to make certain that you don't put RAM, which is too large, for your motherboard. We got an email from Susan in Alexandria. Good morning, Dr. Schertz. Many thanks for topics on your show. For instance, for advising us to do uh, d- disable the default in Google Calendar, which allowed others to add events automatically to your calendar. She said, I did that. Works great. Also, for advising us to stop using Internet Explorer. And I've certainly stopped using it. In addition, I, I've since used Microsoft Edge on Windows 10. I turned off Windows Explorer, and boom, I'm safe. And I also love the fact that you're profiling a number of female pioneers in IT. Now, I recently read about Sally Floyd, another such pioneer with a natural aptitude for math. Sally, along with Dr. Van Jacobson, developed the random early detection algorithm, which is essential for smoothing network traffic congestion and making the Internet viable. You're so, so informative and helpful and entertaining, too, Susan and Alexandria. Susan, thanks for the feedback. I love to do this show, and I like talking about things that are interesting to me and hopefully to you. But Sally Floyd's a great suggestion. I'll feature her sometime in the, um, in the future here on Tech Talk. We got an email from Doug in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Dear Dr. Shirts and Jim, I have a good regular hard drive that I disconnected about six to eight months ago and replaced it with a solid-state hard drive. Now, I'm thinking about temporarily disconnecting the solid-state hard drive and pressing the original hard drive back into service. My concern is about the outdated updates on the drive with Microsoft 10 and with my antivirus program provided by my Internet service provider, AT&T and McAfee. What strategy does Microsoft and AT&T do to bring back six to eight months of critical updates for a hard drive that's been offline for long periods? Do they chronologically download every file or just certain files? I'm concerned about... What it will take, you know, that I'll be online while the updates are being done. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, uh, Doug, you can you can put it back on and you can force the operating system updates by going to Windows Update page. And you can do the same for antivirus software. And they will do the, chron- they will do the updates chronologically. It'll probably, if you've got six to eight months of it, it will probably, it will probably take a few hours. Now, here's the thing. You'll be safe as it's doing that. Just don't surf the web. Don't surf the web at all, and your computer is protected by the firewall that you've got. So if you really want to be super safe, um, you know, just make certain that you're, you, could, you could set your firewall up for, um, you know, for maximum security. 
and then uh, you wouldn't, you know, you could basically uh, adjust it for maximum security. But I think the default settings for your firewall are just going to be fine. I don't think you'll have any trouble at all. But until the updates are done, I would not surf the web. Now, I wasn't certain what, if you were – at first, I thought you were talking about the device drivers on your on your hard drive, um, <clears throat> whether they need to be updated. But uh, frequently, there, there I, I could say something about those there. Frequently, there's a delay between when a new device driver or firmware update comes out and when it's released within Windows 10. The, the vendor releases the software drivers, firmware updates, to Microsoft, and Microsoft will then put them in the – in the update cycle. Now, if you want to get your hard drive updated immediately, just go to the, the vendor directly, and you can download the, uh, the drivers and the firmware for Windows 10 operating system, do it yourself, and then you don't have to wait for Microsoft to get around to it. We got an email from Lily in Fairfax. Dear Doc and Jim, <clears throat> I have an account with a popular online business forum, and I've forgotten my password. Now, I can still log on because Chrome has stored the password, but I'm afraid... Something will happen and the password will disappear on me, even though the password is saved. I can't read it because all it shows are a bunch of asterisks. I've tried resetting the password by clicking on forgot password, but that's not working. Well, Lily, I'd recommend you first try to reset your password from inside the account. Log in using Chrome, and then from within within the account, simply change the password. You can go to settings and change the password. Now, if that doesn't work, you can retrieve your password from Chrome. It's actually pretty easy to do. Launch your Chrome browser, and then you type in this particular address, chrome colon slash slash settings slash passwords, chrome colon (laughs) slash slash settings slash passwords. Put that into the address bar and press enter, and you'll see a whole list of passwords for all the different sites, but each password will be obscured with a little row of dots. But just to the right of the password, there's a little eye icon. Click on the eye icon, and you'll see the password in plain text, which is really kind of nice. Now, when I did that on my Windows 10 machine this morning, because I just wanted to test it out and make certain everything was still working, um, I had to put in the uh, <clears throat> the login uh, code for my, you know, for my, uh, for my PC that, you know, I got a four digit code to log into my PC and I had, I had to enter that and before it would show me the password. Once I entered that, it was good to go do that. And you'll find all your passwords. I actually that, I, you know, I discovered that this morning. And so, you know, anytime I forget a password now, I can just go to Chrome and I can find it. There you go. There we go. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. It's Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio, heard on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2, and in Loudoun County at 104.5. Watch us do the show by downloading the Periscope app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment.
In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time for... Profiles in IT. Yes, today we're going to feature Dr. Leonard Kleinrock. Dr. Leonard Kleinrock pioneered the mathematical theory of packet networks, the technology that is underpinning the Internet. And I'll explain because I know everybody wants to know about packet switching of networks. Course, I'm going to explain that. Didn't you bring that up at the last cocktail party you yeah, went to? Listen, this is just the best thing. You go to a cocktail party, you can clear out the room. You talk about packet <laughs> switching. You know, you can clear the room out really fast. And unless, you have all unless, the finger food to yourself. Unless Leonard Kleinrock is there, and then, and then he'll, of course, he'll hang around. Of course. And not a problem. Now, Kleinrock was born in New York City, June 13, 1934. He graduated from the prestigious Bronx High School of Science in 1951. Mm. Kleinrock, by the way, that was the same high school that wouldn't let women attend. Remember, oh. he, previously I talked about that. But, you did, as a matter of fact. Yeah, but, but he's, he's a man, so he got in. In 1957, Kleinrock received a Bachelor of Science in Electrical Engineering from the City College of New York, and then he went on to MIT. He got his Master's of Science from MIT in 1957. He got his Ph.D. from MIT in 1963. Now, this was the title of his dissertation, Message Delay in Communication Nets with Storage. Interesting. Isn't that exciting? That is totally exciting. Message Delay in Communication Nets with Storage. And he established the mathematical theory of packet networks. Now, I'm going to do an aside here. Okay, And I'm going to talk about packet networks. Okay. And I'll tell you why it's interesting for you non-technical listeners Packet networks are why your long-distance phone calls are now free. Interesting. Instead of these huge long-distance charges. Okay, in the old days, we had what we called circuit switching. So if you'd call California, AT&T long lines would hook up a, a circuit that would go all the way from Virginia to California, and you would own that circuit, and it could be... Uh, it could be over microwaves, could be over wire. You'd own that entire circuit, and as long as you talked on that long-distance circuit, you were charged for the full cost of that long-distance circuit. So you're basically renting that circuit. Yeah, you're doing. renting the circuit, and you're the, you're, you're the only one on it. So you, and so a long-distance call was really expensive. Mm-hmm. And then somebody got the idea. They said, look, when you've got that circuit, half the time 
you know, you don't, you're, you're, there's no voice. You, you could let somebody else use it. You could share it. So somebody got the idea. They said, why don't we take, instead of having circuit switching, why don't we take your message and break it up into little packets, like little short snippets. As you're talking, you break it up into a digital, put it into a digital envelope. And then you put the address on it, California, and you break up your message into, into a bunch of digital envelopes called packets. You put an address on it, and they travel whichever way they want to go. They, I mean, they might go through New York, but if New York is, um, is, uh, is congested, they'll travel through Dallas, or they might travel through Tulsa, and they'll travel any which path, wherever there's least congestion, and they'll all show up at the address in New York. The software at the other end assembles all those envelopes, puts them in the right order, and puts them back together. So what you're doing is that you are sharing the entire network with everyone else. Mm -hmm. And it turned out when you go to packet switching, it's just cheap. So now you use as much network resources if you call New York or as if you call, you know, Fairfax, Virginia. And so once they went to packet switching, long-distance calls were no longer long-distance charges. And so it was a huge breakthrough, which really made a big difference. Now, the reason they were going after packet switching, because remember, this was back during the height of the Cold War. And they said, what happens if we got our network in the country and all of a sudden Chicago gets blown up or Dallas? (laughs) We would like a communication network that dynamically reroutes the traffic in the event there's some sort of catastrophic failure. So this was really developed by the Department of Defense to make a robust communication network system. That's why they they were after it, and that's why they were funding all of this stuff. So... In order for this packet switching to work, where you break it up into little digital envelopes and send it out, you had to model this. You know, are they, are they going to get lost in the system? Are they going to are they going to stack up in one place? How can you reroute them? You, so you have to do some mathematical modeling to see how this packet switching network would function under heavy loads. That's what Kleinrock did. He actually did the underpinning mathematical modeling for packet switch networks. So I'm going to go back to the title of his Ph. It's just really exciting. Please do. Message delay in communication nets with storage. Boom. Really exciting. Boom. So that We're means just drop that there. That is really good. And mm-hmm. and he established the mathematical theory of packet networks. Now after he got his PhD, Kleinrock joined the faculty at UCLA. And he's still there today. He never left UCLA. From 1991 to 1995, he served as chairman of the computer science department. In 1967, Robert Lawrence sought out Kleinrock to model the performance of packet switch networks because he, he, they, he, they wanted to get the exact theory that would work on packet switch networks because um, DARPA, actually ARPA, the Advanced Research Project Agency, is now called DARPA, Defense Advanced Research Project Agency, they wanted to create in hardware, a packet switch network. So Robert thought out Robert thought out Kleinrock to model the performance of of a small packet switch network that they were making as the as the basis of the ARPANET at that time was what they called it. Now, Kleinrock also did something that was very important to the internet. He did theoretical work on hierarchical routing in the late 70s, which re- remains critical to the operation of the internet. You see, as packets flow through the internet. If one node of the internet gets congested, you want the internet to dynamically reroute other packets 
through another location. So you'd like it to dynamically adjust uh, traffic to do load balancing. And so he, and so that means you've got to have the routers and the router table dynamically updated. So he did theoretical work on hierarchical routing to implement that. Now, at the time, then when the, when the uh, DARPA ARPA wanted to set up the original um, the original uh, ARPANET, they could only do it on four nodes. Because when I looked out at their group of universities, there were only four universities that had computers. It was UCLA, SRI, University Santa Barbara, and University of Utah. So those four had computers. So they said, okay, let's set up a four-node ARPANET. Now, the first node was set up at, at UCLA. This is where Kleinrock was. So Kleinrock, he basically set up the first node at UCLA. And so he set up the UCLA, and the computer at each one of these, at these nodes was called an IMP, I-M-P. That was the interface message processor. And so they set up an IMP at UCLA, and they set up an IMP at the Stanford Research Institute up in uh, up in San Francisco, and they sent their first message. Now, the first message, very important, they wanted to log in, so they started typing login, uh-huh. L-O-G-I-N. But after they typed two letters, the computer crashed. So the <laughs> only message that made it through on the first connection was L-O. <laughs> now, that was done, that fateful event was done October 29th, 1969. So on October 29th, that's the 50th anniversary of when that occurred, and this was the first first time that we had used packet switching in a network. And this is the 50th anniversary. Then they went, we'll, we'll talk about that later. We'll talk right? about that a little bit later, yeah. We'll, so we're going we're gonna to do a little bit of celebration, but I want to mm-hmm. get through this technical stuff first. Please. So they had two nodes set up. Then on November 21st, 1969, that was about, a, about, a, you know, about 20 days later, 22 days later, they set up the first permanent ARPANET link between UCLA and the uh, Stanford Research Center. It was imp-to-imp communication. And they, that was the first node. Then they went on and added the additional two nodes. That they, they went on at U- University of California at Santa Barbara, University of Utah. So they had basically four nodes in the first ARPANET. I remember I, I remember I was, you know, I used to use this ARPANET. I think they had, by the time I got on it, they had more nodes. I'd use the, the, the first ARPANET, and uh, it was a little primitive interface, but uh, it was really quite amazing to be able to use it. Now, in 1971, two years later, they sent the first email, and that was done by an MIT researcher, Ray Tomlinson, and, he, and Tomlinson invented the Ampersand, you know, it was like Joe Blow at Stanford.edu, and so he did that ampersand to to indicate uh, email, and he invented that. Now, 1988, Kleinrock was chairman of a group of um, scientists that presented a report to um, to the National Research to, to Congress. No, they presented a report to the U.S. Congress called the National Research Network toward a National Research Network. So they, they needed to get funding. So if you can imagine, these computer scientists were talking to congressmen to try to explain the packet switching. And 
They explained it to them, and this report was highly influ- influential, and it was de- and it actually generated the interest in the High Performance Computing Act of 1991 that actually was the act that funded the precursor of the Internet as we know it today. Funding from the bill was used in the development in, in 1993 of the web browser Mosaic at the National Center for Supercomputing Applications. Kleinrock, oh, this is the other thing. Kleinrock uh. cl- claims to have committed the first illegal act on the <laughs> Internet. Okay. <laughs> he sent a request to return his electric razor after attending a technical meeting in England in 1973. You see, at the time, the use of the Internet for personal reasons was unlawful. So Mm -hmm. requesting that his razor be returned was actually an illegal act. He likes to talk about that. Um, That's that's such a nerdy, geeky, illegal act, it's not even funny. I know. I don't think he'd be impeached for that one. Do you think so? No, and I don't think he'd have uh, the Internet police showing up at his door. I don't think so. He's published over, Kleinrock published over 250 papers and six books in a wide array of subjects, including packet switching, packet radio networks, local area networks, broadband networks, nomadic computing, peer-to-peer networks, and intelligent software agents. Now, you know, we all are familiar with nomadic computing. You yes. c- you walk around with your cell phone exactly. and, and you connect the different nodes. You're a no-man. You're, is, you're a computer no-man. Why is there a name for everything? <laughs> nomadic nomadic com- computing. No, nomadic computing. In, 19, in 2001, he received the Draper Prize for the development of the Internet. In 2008... Kleinrock received the National Medal of Science for his contributions to the mathematical theory of data networks and for the specification of packet switching. That was given to him by George W. Bush. So there you go. Everything you wanted to know about Leonard Kleinrock, the man with his student who established the Internet packet switching 50 years ago hope you're paying attention because your knowledge gathered by what dr church has talked about could land you tickets for free lunch for two when we play the pop quiz coming up here on tech talk radio heard every saturday at nine on federal news radio part of the federal news network 1500 a.m 1035 fm hd2 1039 fm hd2 and in loudon county at 104.5 fm If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, 
and IT careers, here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell, Jim Ross, featuring Mr. Big Voice, with musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band, and your host, Dr. Richard Schertz. That's your yes, cue, yes, Thank you, thank you, thank you. Please sit down. I know, I know it's you're exciting. All Every, those people standing and cheering in the corner. I mean, they are beside themselves talking about packet switching. This has just lit up the studio. Yes. Lit up the studio. I would agree. <laughs> wait, wake up over there. <laughs> Earlier in the show, I talked about Dr. Leonard Kleinrock. He, of course, is the man who came up with the mathematical theory for packet switch networks. And he, he set up the first node of the ARPANET back in 1969. And they issued Kleinrock and his students sent a message from UCLA to Stanford Research Institute and this was the first time that a message had been delivered over a packet switch network. What was that first message? This question now is your chance to show us just how big your brain really is. So pick up your device and give us a call. If you're dialing from west of the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. If you're trying to call in and win in Canada, call us on the wildcard line, 877-936-9333. Anyone else, anywhere else may call us on the ever-undependable international line, 877-936-39333. Now, once again, here's Dr. Richard Schertz. Look at Gravitas. Oh, very nice, very nice. The Internet's 50 years old. It is just such a nice thing. People are saying, you know, technology's changing so fast, but it's been around 50 years. From 1969, when they sent that first packet switching network, in 1971, the first email. Did I miss my cue to play the celebration music? Well, I think we should celebrate just a little bit. Just a little bit? A little bit, because I'm really all about packet switching celebration. <laughs> Listen to that. Packet, packet. Can't you hear okay. them? Can't you sing singing no, packet? No, I can't see them singing that Can at all. Can you see this? Packet, packet. <laughs> I may turn the music off if you keep that up. <laughs> As your punishment. Oh, yeah. That just that just really Well, this is the what tone. I Google celebration song because yeah. you told me we're having a party. The number one celebration song <laughs> this on Google lady, is we are, the Gang. We are celebrating celebration. first packet switch network mm-hmm. message. In 1971, then, as I said, Ray Tomlinson invented email. Now, in 1973, that was about four years later, Bob Kahn and Vince Sirson invented TCPIP. That's the Inter-Networking Protocol. Because, you see, there were a lot of different uh, packet switch networks around. They had radio packet switch networks out in mm-hmm. Hawaii. That was the Aloha Net. Then you had this other node set up between UCLA and SRI. And they showed multiple different data links, communication protocols, at the lowest level between the different nodes. And somebody said, is there some way that we could link all of these different networks together, the, 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 the radio networks, the wired networks? the?" And so Bob Kahn and Vince Cerf developed a protocol that sits on top of the basic networking, packet switching networking protocol. 
and it allows you to knit them all together. And so because you're connecting networks to other networks, they called it internetworking, and that mm. and that is the basis of internet. I just call it the interwebs. Because, yeah, internetworking. Yeah. And so Bob Conaventsurf developed TCP/IP transmission control protocol, internet protocol in 1973 in the summer of 1973, and we still have uh, TCP/IP as the as the core protocol on the internet. We're up to up, up to version six now, IPv6. And um, it's still there. For that 1973 TCP/IP was invented. Now, people, but before, at the time, though, it was really hard to use this because you, you'd enter in text and, and you'd have to have command prompts to do anything with it. Very complicated. So mostly just researchers used this, uh, used this uh, uh, at that time, um, DARPANET, ARPANET. <clears throat> I was using it, but you, you have text. It was difficult to use. It wasn't until 1991 that this technology became accessible to every man. That's when the World Wide Web was invented. Tim Berners-Lee invented the browser and the hyperlink. The hyperlink is a word you click on it and it takes you to a web address. It's linked to a web address. <laughs> That's the hyperlink. 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 And so when the browser came along, people could just open up the browser and they could look around at different sites. And so that became every man's tool for accessing the beauty of the internet. Doc, may I interrupt for just a yes. second because you have a ways to go here. We do not have a winner. Would you please ask the question one more time? Yes. Earlier in the show, I was talking, of course, about Leonard Kleinrock. He and they, they set up the first packet switch connection between UCLA and Stanford Research Institute. And he and his student were working on it, and they were typing in their first message. Actually, the student was typing it in, and then the computer crashed. What was the message that actually got through? All right, if you know the answer, you need to call us right now. 877-936-9333. So official. Oh, that's right. Okay. So you can Continue see on. here, be- between when the first packet switch message was sent and when the World Wide Web was invented, that was about 20 years. That was a 20-year gestation before they, they, it was broadly dispersed, and probably not until 1995 where people brought, you know, just using the Internet on a regular basis. In 1995, this was 25 years after the invention of the Internet, Amazon began selling books on the Internet. Amazon, they called it the largest bookstore in the world. Yes, I remember that. Named after the Amazon River. Mm -hmm. Now they sell everything. In 1998, Google performed their first search by Larry Page and Sergey Brin. In 2003, iTunes was launched by Steve Jobs. In 2004, Facebook was invented by Mark Zuckerberg. And in 2006, the first tweet was sent on Twitter by Jack Dorsey and his team. So you can see the gestation time from when the original idea came along to when it was finally deployed was quite long. So there you go. Everything you'd want to know about the Internet, which is now 50 years old. Very good. All right. I think we may actually have a winner here. So I'm going to get bold (laughs) and do – Andrew is coming in with some information. So I'm going to play that music. Let's do this, that, and hopefully – there we go. We have uh, we have winner on the line, sir. Please or madam, please sign in. Who are we talking to? Hello. <laughs> I love it, Andrew. What do you got here? We got the name. It's Chris calling from Washington. Chris, are you there? Can you hear us? I'm going to put you back on hold and try this again. Um, let's try it this way. Chris, are you there? Can you hear us? 
I'm there. I can oh, hear you. There you go. Okay, good. all right. Very okay. good. All right, Dr. Shirts, please ask the yeah, question. Earlier in the show, we talked about Leonard Kleinrock. Uh, he, of course, then, you know, modeled packet switching. What was the first message that they sent over a packet switch network? L-O. That is that correct. Is there you go. Chris, you are the winner. Hang on a second. We are going to send you back to Andrew Mitchell. He will take care of your information, and we will send the prize right off to you. It is Saturday morning, and you're listening to Tech Talk Radio, heard on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, 1039 FM HD 2, and exclusively in Loudoun County at 104.5 FM. Stand by. More Tech Talk Radio coming up in just a minute. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. Russia has enacted the Sovereign Internet Law. Wow, that sounds really official. That's right. Now and this maybe scary. It's a little scary. Now, this law <laughs> came into effect force just this last Friday in Russia, and it's tightening the state control over the global internet, which free speech activists say will strengthen the government's oversight of the country's cyberspace. Now, the legislation aims to route all Russian web traffic and data through points controlled by the state authorities and to build a national domain name system that will allow the internet to continue working even if Russia was cut off from the foreign infrastructure. Now, the bill's authors have said that the measures are needed to defend Russia after the United States adopted what they described as an aggressive new cybersecurity policy last year. Russian authorities have in recent years adopted a series of rules such as stricter regulations on public protests, tightening their control over society, and effectively giving more power to President Vladimir Putin, a former KGB operative. So as it is now, a lot of the world's Internet traffic goes through domain name servers in the United States. Actually, there's some domain name top-level servers out in Ashburn. And Russia does not want to depend on the domain name system controlled by the United States. So they said, what if the U.S. would cut us off? They couldn't function without a domain name system. So they want to get their own domain name system there, route all of their traffic through their own domain name system, 
they'll have their own top-level domains, servers. Then that way, if the United States cuts them off, they're good to go. There you go. But what happens now, all the traffic is going to be running through those servers, so people are worried about what's going to happen. Gotcha. It's Saturday morning. This is Tech Talk Radio, heard on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2, and in Loudoun County on 104.5 FM. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. Now, this is another thing that will just drive everybody out of the room at a cocktail party. <laughs> Have you ever heard the of the Ebbinghaus Forgetting Curve? The no, Ebbinghaus Forgetting Curve. No, actually, this sounds pretty interesting. Yeah. Herman Ebbinghaus pioneered in the experimental study of memory, and he developed the Ebbinghaus Forgetting Curve about 100 years ago. Hmm. So this is actually the idea of the week. This is a, a technique for remembering things, and it only takes about 20 minutes. Now, the Forgetting Curve describes how we retain or lose information that we take in. So let's take a, a one-hour lecture that you listen to today. Now, the curve like is at its Tech Talk Radio. Yeah, the curve is at highest point. The most information received right after the one-hour lecture. Right after Tech Talk, you are good to go. But one day after the lecture, if you've done nothing with the material, you'll have lost between 50 and 80% of it from your memory. Interesting. 50 to 80%. Huh. By day seven, that erodes to about 10% retained. And by day 30, only 2 to 3% is retained. So you can imagine if, you know... You go, if you go to lectures and you don't, you know, do something, it's gonna it's gonna be tough for the tests. Yeah. But with just twenty minutes of work, you can modify this. Now, what Ebbinghaus discovered, he said, if you spend ten minutes reviewing the material within the next twenty four hours, just ten minutes reviewing the material, you will raise the curve back up to almost fifty, um, almost to one hundred percent. That's impressive. <clears throat> ten minutes. You do it within twenty four hours. Ten minutes you'll be almost up to 100%. Then seven days later, later, you spend five minutes to reactivate the same material, and you'll raise it up again to almost 100%. And then on day 30, 
you only have to do it two to four minutes to completely react the same material, so, and you're back up to 100%. Do you have to do it every seven days until you get to day 30? Is that Or just no, do no. it seven days and then do something on day 30? Yeah, you do okay. it at the 24-hour point, and then on the seven-day point, you do it for five minutes. And then on the 30-day point, <clears throat> you do it for f- two to four minutes. Hmm. And then you're back up to 100%. So for a total of 20 minutes... One month later, you've retained almost the entire seminar. And after th- after the thirty day thing, you, you, don't you have, just you just it's brush there. up. No, you just brush up monthly, like a couple of minutes. Nice, that's interesting. So this is a twenty minute habit that you can remember things. So this actually works. That's this very is very interesting. This is a very good. This is why when when students cram for a test, they'll take the, they'll take the test and get maybe a really good score. And a month later, they don't remember they don't anything. Remember it's 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 all gone. Right, a complete waste of time. So that is a <laughs> that is a very very good technique. Listen, the um, government officials were targeted when WhatsApp was hacked. Senior government officials in multiple U.S. allied countries were targeted earlier this year with hacking software that used WhatsApp to take over the users' phones. Sources familiar. With WhatsApp internal investigation into the breach said that a significant portion of the known victims were high-profile government and military officials in at least 20 countries. Now, WhatsApp's filed a lawsuit against the company that developed the hack. It's an Israeli company called NSO Group. They allege that NSO built and sold a hacking platform that exploited a flaw in the WhatsApp servers that helped clients hack into cell phones of at least 1,400 users between April and May of 2019. NSO said it sells its spyware exclusively to government customers. Now, some victims are in the United States, United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, Mexico, Pakistan, and India. Some Indian nationals have gone public with allegations that they were among the targets over the last couple of days. They included journalists, academics, lawyers, and defenders of India's Dalit community. WhatsApp has said it sent warning notifications to affected users this week. The company has declined to comment on it. This was a huge story in India because India uses, everybody uses WhatsApp. Mm -hmm. So what has happened here, this flaw in WhatsApp, WhatsApp has end-to-end encryption, but this flaw in WhatsApp was used to actually track dissidents within the countries. And so this had huge repercussions. And people are really worried about it. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. And go to the Stratford University website at www.stratford.edu. Check out the programs in all of our areas, computer science, healthcare, culinary arts, hospitality, business, and IT. Tell them that you heard about those programs on Tech Talk Radio. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.